moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show previously on Cascading Leadership. And that is really what you have to do. So you shift that mindset. And then finally, you really physically need to have a tribe of people. Like I have someone and we talk all about our business, our financials, our employee, like we talk all about it. Because as an entrepreneur, you need that. You need someone that you can be 100% open and honest with. And you can be like, oh my gosh, I had a bad month. I only made this. And you're like, okay, what ideas do you have for me to do X, Y, Z? You swap ideas. You think about things. The reason why I threw out the entrepreneurial component of it as a direct parallel fails more than just about any other function in any other organization is extremely entrepreneurial. If you're not being entrepreneurial in sales, you're doing it wrong. It is for nerds like us, it's great because you get to experiment and A-B test everything that you can think of. You can A-B test subject lines on emails and see what happens. If you're not doing that and you're expecting to be successful, I'm sure you can still achieve success without doing it, but you really need to be operationalizing your curiosity and your inner scientist to, to test out all of these different things and just experiment. I think whether you're a true entrepreneur or in sales, as a team member, you really should tap into that innovation engine as you move through. And now the conclusion of our conversation with Wesley. So we've covered a lot of ground so far, and I'm sure knowing how both of us are, we could probably talk forever on any number of topics. But I want to get into overall talent strategy from a sales perspective, and specifically when you're talking about leadership effectiveness and team effectiveness. We touched on this earlier in the conversation where one of the things that teams should be considering or organizations should be considering is growing their own talent. So when you're looking at the problem or when you're looking at the solution of building effective teams, walk through what are some of the best practices that you've seen both from a leadership effectiveness perspective and a team effectiveness perspective and what all of that involves. You've built some elite teams so you can speak to both of those. So give us a brain dump. <laughs> so first of all, one thing that I am so passionate about is not hiring your competitors rejects. So stop going to the competition and trying to poach their people with the promise that they're going to bring all their customers or their book of business, because that's not a reality anywhere. They're going to bring the same bad practices that they had before. So that's one thing that I really am firmly strong. I strongly believe. And I think that when you talk about hiring, and it depends kind of what kind of things you're hiring for, because if you're hiring for an entry-level SDR, that's different than hiring for an outside field sales representative at a technical company. But either one of those roles, sales experience is not necessary, guys. It's not necessary. Okay. It is the sales acumen. It does not, I do not know if you have made 50 calls a day and booked 10 appointments. I need to know that you know how to, that you have the desire, you have the sales DNA, I like to call it, right? You have those things inside that will set you up for success. 
So that's one of the first key things. Yes, you need somebody who can hunt, but we can assess a hunter in a different way. If you hire somebody who worked at a grocery store and they worked 10 hours every single day and they had a great customer satisfaction score, they may be a good salesperson. So don't just discount people because they're outside of the industry. Another key thing that is really important to focus on is having onboarding plans that fit the different demographics of the people that you're hiring. And so demographics are, okay, I'm hiring an industry outsider. So I need to teach them our software. I need to teach them our product. They need to sit with product people, right? And in that track, you need to have it where they're shadowing those people. Like I take a new salesperson and if I'm working in one of my, I call them my dirty industries, or if I'm working in a chemical plant or in manufacturing, I make them go in the plant. They spend a week in the plant. They go into the warehouse. They see what happens in there. They go work with operations. They sit with a junior accountant. That is what they do in their first 30 days. I don't throw them out and make them start calling or doing that immediately because they really, that's the only way you learn the business, right? And that sale and a person who has all that technical knowledge, they need to shadow people. Just sit there and have another phone, have a listen to those calls. Don't just make them go on your intelligent software and listen to old calls five, 10 times a day. Let them sit with somebody and see how their brain processes. Okay, I just had this call. Now this is what I'm going to do next because they really need to understand these things. And then the onus is on you as a leader to have a temperature check. Like some people have, oh, we have a sales team stand up every single day. You need to have one for just for new people. You can't just lump them in with the team. You need to test, check their temperature to see how well acclimating. That's another encyclopedia version of an answer that could be unpacked in a lot. Oh, show note for anybody that's listening an encyclopedia, these things before Google that all us old heads used to have that costs uh, like yeah. an arm and a leg. And I was poor, so I didn't, I couldn't, my parents couldn't afford it. So I had to go to the library. That's also another place that people went to before Google. So anyways, <laughs> so that is a great answer. And we covered so much ground across those areas, but I, I want to circle back on one particular thing. So I absolutely agree in terms of not hiring your competition's rejects, because if they're good, they're happy where they're at and you're not going to get them. And if they're looking, there's probably a reason why they're looking. So choose wisely. But there was something that you mentioned in terms of the phrase that you used was sales DNA. And I want you to explain a little bit more about what sales DNA in terms of critical competencies, in your opinion, look like. What should I be looking for as a hiring manager to signal that this person has the right makeup or DNA for this job? I was recently told I hired a new sales coach for my team about two months ago. And I was also in a round of interviews with clients. They're like, Wesleyan, you're one of the most difficult interviews I've ever seen. And it's because, and I tell people the questions that I ask in interviews, they're not Googleable. You can't Google them. And so one of the things that I will do is I like to ask a question around, share an experience in your life that has changed the trajectory of who you are, your career or personally. 
So that catches people off guard because they're like prepared for this interview. So how they answer that question is so important, right? Because I'm looking for their critical thinking skills. A person with good sales DNA knows how to think on their feet. I like to say they can get out of a brown paper bag. So what kind of critical thinking skills do they have, right? I asked them about, tell me what an area of improvement your last boss would have told you to work on. How honest are you? Are you just fluff? Are you like, no, my boss would say I need to do this or I need to do that, right? So literally asking them those difficult questions that are not the the internet questions that people can Google, but really getting deep down in there. So when I talk about sales DNA, I am talking about like, how comfortable are they discussing money? Are they rejection proof? When is the last time you were rejected within your career? If they're not, a, weren't a previous salesperson, I asked them, talk to me about a click you had in your previous position and how you handled it. I need you to be rejection proof, right? So really thinking about what makes a good salesperson within my organization? What are the core skills they need to have? And I always say, don't look at somebody sitting in the seat. You as a leader, think about what an ideal salesperson would be. Get your crystal ball. What is that person? And those are the situational questions you ask. The more situational questions you ask, the better they are answering them. Give them time to think. They don't have to answer them quickly, but you want to see their process of getting through them. I want to throw a monkey wrench into that whole thing. The irony about sales as a function is that we keep the lights on. We literally are the reasons why organizations keep their doors open. But when we look at development, training, upskilling, all of that sort of stuff, we're generally the most underfunded in most organizations in terms of those areas. So how do you factor that in to the hiring process when you're actually looking for new salespeople? And then the other half of that question is, you're a new manager that that takes over a sales team. What are the things that you can build to account for that lack of resourcing when it comes to building up your own skills or building up your team's skills? So the I'll take them in separate buckets. So with a brand new salesperson, one of the things that you really have to think about when we think about when they're going to be ready to get going, I always say it's your sales cycle plus about 45 days, right? If you have a six-month sales cycle, it's going to take seven months for that person to be autonomous. If you have a six-week, six-year, think about what is my sales cycle and add 45 days to that sales cycle. And that's how long it takes to ramp up a new rep, right? So when you think about that, you really have to think about how am I going to get somebody, if I have a three-month sales cycle, that means it's going to take four months for a person to produce. So one thing that I do is I always hire in pairs. So it's always two, four, six, like literally, if we have budget for one, we can find budget for two because they need to have a buddy. Every new salesperson that has a buddy, they are a lot more successful. And I give them a little assignment. There are little things that they're doing throughout their time. And for an SDR, we can get them on the phone in two to three weeks. I usually let them start with what I call junk leads. So they may be like disqualified or marketing leads, 
but I need them to practice those scripts. I need them to start getting over rejection, but I'm not holding them to a quota immediately. So I can give them feedback while they're in training mode, but they still feel like they're contributing. Like I literally had a new SDR star and she booked three meetings in five days. I said, how did you book three meetings for Jack Leeds? That made her feel good. So you really want to give them some way to have some quick wins so that they know that they're doing something. And as a new manager, what you have to do is one of the key things is you can't be a player coach. You can't be selling. You can't be playing in the game and trying to lead the team. So if you're a player coach, you're not going to be doing what you need to do. I, I hear some cackling coming from here. So I'm going to pop. You're killing me, Wesleyan. Come on. Like I am. So that is, re- it's always been really difficult for me to, to not, I love selling, but I also happen to be really good at building good teams, but it's tough for me to not like get into the trenches and be side by side, like running stuff. So the, it's still something that I, that I thank God I have the boss that I have because he's dude, teach them. Don't just go do it, teach them. And so I, I, it's not something that I'm ever going to be comfortable with, but I just had to slink off of camera when you said that. I saw you. That's why I was like, okay, let me let me see what. And I saw you laughing. And that's a lot. And this is a very controversial topic, but I really believe that you have to have been a good salesperson to be a good sales leader. And a lot of people say that's not true, right? If there's two sides of the coin. But my the way that I say it is: how do you know what excellent looks like if you were never excellent? That's just me. That's a whole another topic. I'm not gonna go there. But what I will say is when we have that desire to still sell, it's because we're good salespeople and we are so excited by getting that PO, by getting that contract signed, by getting it done. That excites us. And so I tell my new sales managers, I get it. And I don't want you to give up your joy and your passion, but you can never do a sales call alone ever again in your life. You must always have someone with you and you must give them questions to answer so that they can say, oh, okay, this is what you did. You make literally write out questions, five questions they need to answer. How did I open this call? Were there objections? How did I handle them? What is the customer's problem? How did I do that? How did I do this? And so their wheels are turning. So then the next time they're having that conversation and that's how you transfer the knowledge, right? It's like you make them observe you. So that is the one thing I'll say. Yes, you can still do a little bit, dip your toe in, but you can't ever do it alone again. And if you get that in your brain, you're always in teaching mode. Killing me, Smalls. Killing me. I love it. Wesleyan, I think I'm not exaggerating at all that I could have probably kept you on here for another three hours talking about sales stuff, but I know you got other stuff to do. So I thank you so much for joining us. I learned a ton on this and there's probably a lot of runway that's left to be, to be talked about. Before we sign off, tell the listeners where they can find you, all the different ways that they can get a hold of you and give us a rundown on that. Awesome. So I am always on LinkedIn. 
I post content daily. I am very active on there. And so it's just Wesleyan, like Dr. Jim introduced me as I'm just Wesleyan on LinkedIn. But to learn more about what we do at Transformed Sales, you can go to my website, transformedsales.com. I also have a podcast and you can listen to my podcast. It's transformedsales.fm. We offer a wide range of services from sales consulting to leadership development and team building. And so anyone who wants to chat with me, I'm always open for a chat. And uh, when I grow up as a podcaster, I want to be just like you. You're like top 1%, I think, on Listen Notes or something like that. Yes, I am. I am. A podcast as you know, is a labor of love, but... It is a passion project for me. And so I am so excited that I we are a top 1% podcast. So the question that I have before I sign off is you're on LinkedIn, you have a podcast. Why aren't you on TikTok? All the cool kids are doing it these days. I literally just signed up for TikTok yesterday because between my new sales coach and my 13 year old, I'm like, okay, I got to do this. So Not- I literally... If for nothing else, to, uh, other than to embarrass your 13-year-old, that's why you should be on TikTok. Right. So I can follow all his friends. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so this is so funny. I was literally sending a message to Ashley, my sales coach on Teams. And I said, okay, I really think I need. To, we should get on TikTok. But I feel like I'm too old for that. And she put TikTok, because T- I spelled it T-I-C-K. Oh, that's why I was like, yeah, I'm like, she's Wesley. First, can you spell it right before we get on the platform? So yeah, I'm a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. What I will say is there is, a, I'm pretty sure I got some years on you and I'm on there. He is older than me and he's on there. So you got a couple of old heads that are on there doing old head stuff. And it's not all about trending songs or dances because I, I don't do that. But a, again, great conversation, Wesleyan. Thank you so much for joining us. For those of you listening to the show, thank you for your continued support. We are on all your favorite podcast platforms, just like Wesleyan. And I don't know if Wesleyan's on this, but we're on TikTok. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're on LinkedIn. That's our primary channel, not on Instagram because that's only for food picks. So thanks again for joining us on Cascading Leadership. And we look forward to having another great show down the road. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.